You're listening to the Just Powers Podcast. I'm Dr. Sheena Wilson, Principal Investigator of the Just Powers National Research Team and a Professor of Energy Humanities at the University of Alberta. On the Just Powers Podcast, I invite you to think together with myself and my guests about climate justice issues and socially just approaches to energy transition. Today, my guests and I join you from Treaty 6 Territory and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 4 in what is now called Edmonton. The province of Alberta is the traditional territory and home of 48 different Indigenous nations. The city of Edmonton, where my guests and I work and live, is situated on lands long ago stolen from Papasjais and Métis peoples, displacing them through means and methods that led to the loss of culture and lives as part of our nation's history of genocidal practices. Energy and natural resources play a starring role in this history. So as we talk about energy transition and climate justice, we invite you to think together with us, with your communities and your spheres of influence, about how to take action on climate in ways that at a minimum respond to the calls of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, but that exceed those calls in order to make meaningful energy policy and infrastructure decisions, as well as personal shifts that will shape our society and our lives in more equitable, intersectionally feminist, and decolonial ways. This episode was originally recorded in February of 2021. In this episode, we're going to hear about one of the projects supported by Just Powers, the Net Zero North Glenora Sustainable Affordable Housing Project. The research leads on this project are Dr. Sarah Dorrow, Professor of Sociology, and Dr. Arlene Oak, Professor of Human Ecology, both at the University of Alberta. On this podcast, guest hosts Sarah Doro and project research assistant Resvane Erfani speak with Andrew Gregory and Annabelle Wallace, two people who played pivotal roles in leading a mature community through this project, setting an example for other faith organizations and neighborhoods. Andrew Gregory served for many years with the North Glenora Community League. Annabelle Wallace is the former pastor at Westmount Presbyterian Church. So get ready to learn more about the inspiring story of a first-of-its-kind project that marries social sustainability, affordability, and net-zero development, a housing project that really puts Edmonton on the map. While not without its challenges, the North Glenora Project is a story of creativity, perseverance, inclusive collaboration, and perhaps more than anything, a synergistic meeting of diverse community needs and interests. We are delighted to have you both here today. To get started, our listeners would like to get to know you both and hear your voices. Annabelle, can you briefly say hello and introduce yourself? Hi, I am Annabelle Wallace, and I'm a minister of the Presbyterian Church in Canada. I came to Westmount, and I was there for several years during this transition time. That's who I am. That's great. Thank you. We look forward to hearing more about your involvement. Andrew, if you would briefly introduce yourself. Yeah, as you said, my name is Andrew Gregory. I moved uh, with my family to North Glenora back in 2012 from Vancouver. I've been an active volunteer with the North Glenora Community League over those past eight years. Helped build the rink and the local pond hockey organization. And I think maybe most notably was, was on the Planning and Transportation Committee during the time when the Presbyterian Church began to plan its new townhome development. Great, thank you both. So to kick things off, we we thought we'd start by asking both of you to reflect briefly on the sort of larger import of this project. It's been held up as a model. What for you is it a model of? 
And how might you answer that question a bit differently today than you would have years ago when it first started? I would say that this is a model of effective community engagement. So the funny thing was that when we when we originally looked into, you know, sort of doing this community engagement on behalf of North Glenora with the church, you know, I started looking around for, you know, examples of effective community engagement. And it seemed like I only found examples of bad community engagement. And it seemed as though, you know, no one could no one could point me to a developer that was doing really good community engagement regularly. And so, you know, we did have to kind of make it up as we went along based on best practices. But I think that unfortunately developers feel like community engagement is going to be a great big hornet's nest and that they're just, and so they get scared and they do all of their thinking on their own because they're afraid of what the community is gonna think. And I think that what the church did really well was say, you know, here's what we're planning and we'd like to talk to you about it. And so by welcoming that community engagement, we were able to have an effective community engagement and, and the results were fantastic. So this is a model of community of effective community engagement, not only for developers who shouldn't be afraid of talking to their community, but it's also a model of effective community engagement for communities, right? So they can see that they don't have to draw up battle lines uh, when new development comes down the pipe. And, and ultimately, that's going to be to their benefit if they can attract exciting new developments like this one. That's great. Thank you. So, Annabelle, what about you? For, for you, what is this project a model of? I think it's a model of where churches could go. We were in a situation where we couldn't sustain what we had. And looking at where does God want us to go and justice was a big issue of that. And I think churches have a lot of building resources that aren't being used to their full potential. And I think it's an, an example of how the church can move into social justice issues, not by working by itself, but by working with those in the community have, who have the knowledge and the skills to be able to develop something. But it starts with a mission of what can we do? Yeah, and your two answers come together around this question of collaboration and cooperation among multiple people and and uh, and entities. And projects like this, of course, you know, start somewhere, right? Um, not necessarily in a single moment, but they have to start somewhere. So, Annabelle, could you talk with us about how the idea for this project first arose at Westmount Presbyterian? Was there a particular spark of inspiration, or was it more of a simmer over time? It was a wondering. I had to work in that building, and in the winter, I would wear those gloves with the fingers for typing. That's how cold that office was. The board kept saying that the roof was going to fall in, and I always hoped it wouldn't be when I was there. I had a vision when I worked in Vancouver in the West End with single parents through a daycare that it would be really neat to build a building for seniors and single parents, because those two communities could support one another. You just have to have a strong wall in the middle for noise, right? And we had a builder within the congregation that I met with, and that helped me with some realizations. First of all, the concept I had was good housing for single parents. You'd need three bedrooms and so on. His concept was, how can you make the most profit out of this? So it just died there. And I have to speak in my language, which is, for some reason, you could call it happen chance, but I felt God leading us through this whole project, is we got a letter for a former minister 
to go to the inner city housing, which right at home used to be called. And for some reason, an elder who I'd initially given this idea to said, well, I'm not interested, <laughs> went to the meeting and met Cam McDonald. And that's how it started. Cam came out and said, seniors and single parents isn't the need, it's housing for large families. And that just clicked because we had had that dilemma. That, that's a, that's wonderful. Thank you. I love the detail of the gloves. Right. That's that's really <laughs> great. Right. And you and you sort of set up this you know, justice versus profit sort of narrative around around it as well that I we've heard from others. Really interesting, Andrew. Perhaps you could build on that by telling us how you and the North Glenora Community League got involved in the project. Do you remember how the proposal was initially received? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think to the credit of the Westmount Presbyterian Church, when they came up with this plan very, very early on, they, I think, quite almost instantly went to the North Glenora Community League executive and said, you know, here we are, this is our thought, we'd like to build an, uh, you know, a multifamily affordable housing complex that is going to welcome new Canadians. It's going to be on our site. And that's what we're hoping to do, right? I think it was, it was relatively unfinished at that point. And so I think that's really to their credit, right? So they they were just open and transparent from the very beginning. And I think expectedly, when people hear affordable housing, they think, oh, no, this is going to be something cheap. This is going to be, it's going to welcome new people into my neighborhood that I'm, that I don't know. There was a lot of, I think, nimbyism right off the bat. And I think that that's just human. That's just, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm concerned. This is my largest investment in my home and my community. Oh no. Right. So that's, I think how the, how a lot of people received it right off the bat. And so from there, the community league said, okay, planning and transportation committee, this is a, this is a proposal. I'd like you to go and meet with the church and talk to them about what it is their what their plans are. And I think that that was kind of the germ of, we're going to go into this conversation. We're going to hope to establish an open conversation with the Presbyterian Church. And again, to their credit, they said, yeah, that's what we want. You, you know, we're in your community. We, we want to hear from you. And so from that, from, I think that initial shock of, oh, there's this cute little church that's been there for 60 years on our corner to, oh no, there's going to be something new that I'm not sure about. I think the conversation moved very smoothly towards its eventual conclusion. And you've talked, Andrew, already about sort of seeing this as a model of the ways in which, you know, through the patience and work of consultation, you can get there, right, mm-hmm. and of inclusion. Um, and there were certainly sticking points in the community, uh, including everything from parking to, to property values. And so it really did take that kind of painstaking consultation as, as we've uh, sort of learned about this project. Did you ever worry it might fall apart? Were there points where you worried about falling apart and or where you thought, aha, we've crossed a bridge here and this is going to work now? We actually had people who lived on that block who said, if this happens, I'm going to sell my house and I'm moving. And they continued to say that for weeks and weeks. And then they never changed their mind and they sold their house and they left. And yet we as a committee kind of had to keep our personal feelings one way or the other about the development out of this process. Because really what we were there to do was to draw from the community and uh, from the, the townhomes direct neighbors, how it was they felt about it, what their concerns were, what questions they want answered. 
and then to propose those to the church, get their answers, and then make sure everybody felt as though their questions were heard, felt as though their questions were answered to the degree that, that it was possible to answer them and make sure that that was clear, right? So to some extent, we as a committee never really had an agenda. We just wanted to make sure that the church got access to the best of the community and that the community felt as though it was being heard in this process. There's sort of a, a continuum of engagement that happens in development from, you know, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, and then at the end, I'm going to do it. And then that goes all the way to the other end, which is I'm going to ask you how you feel. I'm going to listen to what it is your concerns are. And in fact, I'm going to invite you to a degree into helping design what this ends up being, right? So that the community actually has total ownership over it. And I think we ended up near that end of the spectrum. And so, you know, at the end of the day, the church owns that property and they have the right to do what they want to do. But it, again, is to their credit that they said, you know, this is going to be part of the community. And in, and in order for it to be accepted properly and for the eventual residents to be integrated well with the community, you know, we're going to want to make sure everybody feels as though they're on board. Thank you. That's a great summary of the, the I guess, the landscape you were navigating, right, and trying to make sure people were heard. Yeah. And I think, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but, the, but you know, in answer to the question of, did, did we ever feel as though it was going to fail? Or was there a time when we said, oh, yeah, I think it was just a matter of spending the time. And as it went, everybody got happier, everybody felt as though they were being heard. And so we, you know, we went from that initial shock towards a point where everybody felt like, oh, okay, I'm really kind of getting to like this. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, being at the next community engagement meeting, because I get to see how far it's coming along. So Annabelle, to pick up on that, what, what did this adventure mean for the relationship between the church and the broader North Glenora community? First of all, historically, Westmount Presbyterian Church has always been very involved with North Glenora Community League. The people initially lived in the community. They were on the executive. They participated in all the activities. There's wonderful stories of their sense of community there. So there was already a thing that we do cooperate with the community. That's, that was established in attitude. I had gotten to know some of the key people on the executive and in the community through the refugee family kids. All of this gets so interconnected. So I wasn't an unknown. The church wasn't an unknown. And that, I think, is what really helped. What was it like for the congregation to say goodbye to its old building and then to sort of risk doing something new, completely new on this in this space that had been theirs for decades? Well, it for the old timers, the building was special, but a wonderful thing happened. Peter walked in and looked at the beams, the wooden beams, their beautiful beams, and said, oh, we're taking those. We could tell the people the beams were coming, and that really helped. And now if you walk into that building, those beams are there from the old church. And he, he saved all of the old wood and made things for it and so on. So, yes, there was that. There was the question of the organ, which wasn't going to fit, but we moved it anyway. And then when we got there, we found out it didn't fit. They, they were pretty good. And again, we kept them well informed as to what was happening. 
as you were speaking about the beams, I was flashing on when I got to see the church on one of the eco-solar tours here in Edmonton a few years ago, and the church was part of that tour, and those beams really stand out in the in the new building, so I can see the importance of those, right, bridging from the old mm-hmm. to the new building. So actually, I'm going to hand things to, to Rizvana to ask a set of questions having to do with the sort of environmental side of the project. Thank you so much. So the North Kalinora Housing Project is about both people and the planet and their mutual sustainability. And the townhouse complex and the church share net zero energy system that uses both solar panels and geothermal. But the project didn't start that way, right? My question is about the decision to get net zero. I believe it was in 2015 that they decided to add the net zero part. So uh, how did the decision change the community conversations, Andrew, and the excitement that you were describing? You know what? I don't actually remember that component, you know, becoming new. But I can say that everybody was super enthusiastic about it. You know, it's just a matter. I think I think it's what it says is how much care that the Presbyterian Church and Right at Home Society and Habitat Studio were putting into the building. There are concerns when people hear affordable housing. And then immediately after that, they think, well, what's it going to look like? Right. And so. You know, we were, you know, given the fact that, that Habitat Studios was involved, given the fact that the Mennonite Center for Newcomers was involved, I mean, it just seemed as though everything was being planned down to the last nail about how this was going to be, you know, a successful addition to the community. I think that there's a bit of an information vacuum right at the beginning, right? So everybody tends to fill that with all of their worst fears. And so that's why I think, that's why I was saying earlier about the fact that time had a really positive impact is that people get used to it. People learn more. Presbyterian Church and their developer were excellent in terms of, you know, integrating the concerns that people had in terms of, you know, is this going to throw shade into my backyard? You know, how is it going to affect the, you know, that the property is a very large one and it, and it looks right into our school and onto our onto our big soccer field. And so, you know, it's kind of an anchor property in the whole community. So people worried, you know, is is it going to just be a, a box with vinyl siding on it? And, and how is this going to affect my community? So all of the detail that, that Habitat Studio and Peter Amarongan and Right at Home Society put into not only the beauty of the building, but also the potential success of the new Canadians who are going to be who are going to be living there. You know, you could just see people's opinions changing. And having that environmental aspect was a major component to that change of ideas, right? Absolutely. I mean, people, I think we have a very tight knit community here. I know a lot of people here and I know that um, that environmentalism and sustainability and green housing and all of that stuff is all very important to people. Personally, for me, it became one of the great features of the property. And, and I think it plays also to your earlier question about, you know, what is this an example of? The, the, the reason I wrote that blog was that I think that, you know, the combination of beautiful design and this affordable housing model plus environmentalism plus, you know, how do you engage with the community? I mean, it feels like it's just a, a, a sort of in the box solution for every community in Edmonton to go ahead and, and do the same thing. Perfect. Thank you so much. How the congregation responded to that, Annabelle, to adding the environmental aspect to this project? 
I don't think it was an important factor for the most members of the congregation. Their concern was, will we have a place to worship? What will be there? And so on. For myself and some of the leaders, it was just exciting to watch the environmental issues grow through Peter. It was just exciting to see how we could build as an example of saving the environment. But as I say, I don't think it was that important for most members of the congregation. But I would jump up and down. Thank you. And I have another question for you, Andrew, about the environmental aspect. How do you situate the North Scalenora project in Edmonton's climate change adaptation strategy and the action plan and the way that ordinary Edmontonians respond or react to it, like in terms of seeing climate action achievable and doable in their backyards? Everybody, I think everybody likes to see the fact that someone else has been able to do it. You know, I know Annabelle will tell you as well that in addition to the fact that she was wearing fingerless gloves while trying to type in the winter, that it was enormously expensive for them to heat their uh, their building, right? So that's the kind of thing that ordinarily Edmontonians are going to gravitate to, right? So if building a net zero or a more energy efficient home is going to save you money, when in fact everything you're hearing from people who are maybe politically motivated one way or the other is that, well, you know, it's going to cost twice as much and why would you waste that money, et cetera, et cetera. So the church building now has been operating for four or five years. And so it would be really great to have a look at, you know, how is all of that environmental and sustainable technology that they built into that building? How is it affecting the cost of running the building? Because at the end of the day, you know, people are willing, I think that people are willing generally to spend a little bit more for things like comfort and things like higher order needs, like feeling as though they're not uh, contributing to climate change, but maybe not, maybe not that much more, right? So, you know, the great, the great sweet spot is going to be when in fact doing the right thing and having an energy efficient home not only is beautiful and comfortable, but it also costs less. Great, so I'll jump in with a, a, a small set of questions that follow up on the conversation so far, where it's come up multiple times, the design, the building, uh, the both the aesthetics of it, but also the material objects like those beams, Annabelle, that you talked about that Peter Amarong and Habitat Studio recognized should stay right in the new building. Annabelle, I wonder if you could, if there are other aspects of the sort of design material aspects of this new building that became important along the way, or, or that in retrospect, you realize were really important uh, for how the project unfolded? Well, because it's smaller, it, it suits our congregation much more, that it's very cozy. If we were meeting, we could be six feet apart by placing the chairs very easily. We're not meeting in-house, in, in but if we were it's it's got a warm feeling it's flexible in that you just move pull some tables in and you're ready for coffee hour you can move all the chairs out and you've got a great big space if you wanted to do any major kid programs we've been able to have another church worship in the building as well and they very much appreciate the building 
you're giving us a real sense of the feel of the space, which is really lovely. And, you know, the townhomes, you mentioned the, the kids, and it made me think about one of our earlier conversations where you said something about the townhomes being sort of indestructible. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. Neither of us has been inside the townhomes because we started this project right when COVID hit. So could you tell us about the what it feels like inside those townhomes and, and what you like about them? Oh, they're very comfortable again in terms of temperature. It took a while to teach people not to turn the heat up. They'd like to open windows and turn the heat up, but Peter had to teach, they had to teach them, set it there, leave it there. The air automatically circulates. The floors, uh, I visit a family with five kids. The, The floors never look dirty. The, the the kind color of flooring they put in. So I tried to put that in my own place because it's just incredible. No destruction with five kids living in this place. The, it just seems to hold up very well with an active family. And the washers and dryers that they put in are, they're energy efficient, but they're also big enough for people with large families who do a lot of laundry. What else? The light is good too. And Andrea, have you been, I'm not sure if you've been inside the townhomes, but I would love to hear you comment more on the design and aesthetic, especially given the kind of concern from the community that that you discussed, right? Um, How do you personally sort of read and and feel about the design and aesthetic of that building? I love it. It's it's cool. It's modern from the outside. It It looks great. I love the big bank of solar panels that are on top. I mean, it's basically an advertisement for the fact that this is a energy efficient building that is generating electricity the back of it the people i know my neighbor across the street i'm looking at his house right now through my front window he's directly behind the place and so he would have had a concern of whether or not his house was going to be shaded by it and whether or not people in the townhomes were going to be looking directly into his house people don't notice the fact that there is now a great big multifamily dwelling there when in the past there was a a sort of more squat short church and uh, and outbuildings. So I did actually get a chance to go inside. The developers allowed community members and others to go and tour the suites before everybody moved in so they could show off all of the technology that's inside. So, you know, from the perspective of an aesthetic inside, everything looks modern and fantastic. And I think anybody who walked through it and looked at a three-bedroom suite would think, oh boy, I wish I wish I was living here. You know, it's really very cool and very modern. But, you know, for me, who's a little bit more into the sustainability side, the fun stuff was looking actually into the uh, mechanical room and seeing things like heat pumps and seeing things that were extracting, you know, energy out of out of hot water, etc. All of that is for me that all that stuff was was the exciting part. And, uh, and yeah, I thought, I mean, as I say, anybody who walked through there would have would have hoped to be able to live in a place like that. Thank you. That's great. So over to Rizvana for a final set of questions. I have a question for Andrew. As an active member of the community, what do you think of the process of the integration of new families in the North Carolina community? And did you observe in the past few years any changes in the social texture of the community after the project was completed and the families moved in? Great question. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't noticed any change in the 
texture or culture of the community at all. I mean, you can imagine when somebody builds a new home in your neighborhood, you either introduce yourself to them or you don't, but your life kind of continues on. And it's been lovely the fact that there are more young kids in the neighborhood, which instantly sort of gave a new lease on life to the school. We have a great big field that kids are always playing soccer in. We have, you know, two two parks that um, that kids can play in. Um, so just seeing young families there makes a big difference. I'm, I'm involved with managing and maintaining our outdoor rink. And, uh, you know, as a Canadian, there's nothing better than walking your dog past the rink and seeing a half dozen kids skating on the rink. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's really good for the soul. So just having a, a sort of a vibrant community with lots of young families who are enjoying the outdoors. I think that's a component of North Glenora that has never really changed, but now it's, it's the same as ever. And uh, in terms of the integration of the new families into the neighborhood, I think, as Annabelle said, there's a, a refugee family who had lived on that property before and who now has have uh, have apartments in the townhomes and so they were already pretty well integrated into the neighborhood i mean their kids were playing with our pond hockey team so i knew so say i have an, one neighbor in particular the youngs who who have done a great job of staying in touch with the families who live in the townhomes and i know that we have a group of, of North Lenora residents and people who live in near, nearby communities who actually sponsored some of the families that came from Syria. And so they already knew those people and as a result, maintain close contact with them when people need to do things like find a doctor or you know, navigate, navigate you know, Edmonton's bureaucracy or whatever it is. But you know, to me, who just lives across the street, I feel as though they're just neighbors. Thank you so much. If you were to describe the North Kalanora developments and the community's engagement with it in one word or phrase, how would you describe it? Or maybe there's an analogy you think really captures it? You want to go first on that, Annabelle? Sure. <laughs> you said one word, and so the first word that came to my mind was miracle. The miracle of cooperation. Uh, I'm going to go with effective. As my one word. I guess you hear about the horror stories of community engagement. You know, things can go wrong in so many different ways. And it was clear through this process that things could have gone wrong in so many different ways. And so we're, I think, I think we're sort of a good news story and one, a story of optimism when people are thinking about community engagement you know, there's, there's going to be, I think, a little bit of concern on both sides. So, you know, if you can see someone who's done it effectively, just like this is a, a great, big, beautiful, multifamily, sustainable townhome, which is sort super complex, when someone's already done it, and they've done it effectively, it makes it easier for others to do it. Andrew, you've talked about wanting to see this replicated in other neighborhoods. Annabelle, you've talked about wanting to see this replicated in other churches and faith organizations. I wonder if you have thought about sort of what you think is most transferable, right? What are, what are the lessons from this that, that should be taken up elsewhere, even if the conditions aren't necessarily the same, right, as they were for you? Andrew, you want to start? Sure. I think that process is transferable. I, you know, when we were, we were a group of volunteers who were sort of making it up as we went along, 
but we relied upon a great deal of expertise in the community. So people that have done things before, people who have served on boards, people who understood development, people who understood planning. And then we borrowed from some very simple tools. I mean, this is not rocket science. And on top of those simple tools, we poured a great deal of good faith and hard work and sincere effort. And so, you know, what can be drawn from that is that anybody can do it, right? If you come to it with the right personalities, if you start with an appropriate roadmap for where you want to go, you can, you're going to come out the other side with a good result. It's just as simple as that. Thank you. Annabelle, go ahead. I think what I learned is if you're doing a project like that, you have to find the right resource people. I do not understand finances, so I was useless with all of that stuff, but there were people who could do that. And there were people who knew how to do those community meetings. And then the the builder. So you just have, it depends on finding the right people. And I think with the right personalities. And this one just fell into that where we had all of those people. And we had an elder who had once been in part government. So he knew how to work that whole area. So I just had to be enthusiastic and smile and everybody else did the work. That's, I, I'm guessing it's a bit more than that, but thank you. <laughs> and I would add to that, you've got to have a lot of patience. Wait and see and be patient and accept different opinions, you know, but it was the patience that you really needed. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Annabelle, because, you know, all of the all of the effective communication and good intentions uh, in the world aren't going to get you your results if you need it by tomorrow. Right. So one of the things that I learned through helping lead this was that time was just such an essential component of it, because what it does is it allows people, you know, people don't feel backed into a corner. Right. They feel as though, okay, I'm first of all, I'm being listened to, I'm being asked my opinion. But second of all, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be given a little bit of time to get my head around this. And what I, and what we found was everybody just kind of got their head around it on their own, right? You can't, you know, it's like that old thing. You can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So you have to allow people to kind of reason it through in the given amount of time. So, and not all developers are going to, going to be willing to spend that time. It's an expensive process to spend that time. And so what's important is that, you know, they start early so they don't have to break ground tomorrow. If you start early and get that community engagement going and get all of this process in place, that by the time you want to, or realistically could have broken ground, you know, you've got everybody on board. Yeah, that's that's such a great point when you think about the different timelines that that budgets work on, that policies work on, right? That all kinds of institutions work on that that you can only have so much control over in a project like this. I mean, it's really helpful that you said that. Thank you. So one question that's been asked sort of at the end of, of uh, this series of podcasts is what you want our future to look like. And I think in this case, our future means you know, Edmonton, uh, and, and what, what is, what do you hope that that will look like and, and want it, want it to be? I hope it would be that Edmonton continues to build good, 
affordable housing that is environmentally friendly also because we've they did it and it worked and it's saving money and the environment. I think that I would hope that all communities in Edmonton would welcome developments of this nature. You know, affordable housing is an important part of all of our housing as a city. And so it's not good enough just to say, well, you know, affordable housing is what happens in North Glenora or affordable housing is what happens elsewhere, right? We, as long as everybody has affordable housing in it and as long as it's, you know, it's available throughout the city and it's available with access to public transportation and that the environmental side is then, I mean, you know, everybody is going to benefit from the leadership of the Westmount Presbyterian Church with respect to all of the environmental and sustainability things that were built into this, because everybody else can look at it and say, well, you know, why don't I have this in my individual home? So my hope is that, you know, that that great multifamily affordable housing is being built everywhere around the city where it could be built, and that everybody's able to take the lead with respect to you know, sustainability at the residential. When you talk about Edmonton of the future, it's it's just simply is going to have to welcome new development. You know, when I moved here from Vancouver, I was knocked pretty flat by the fact that we have mature neighborhoods that are populated, were populated, you know, primarily by these small bungalows on very large properties, uh, which just simply don't exist in most major cities. So in order for, you know, I think in order for North Glenora, first of all, but then also Edmonton to thrive, we're just going to have to welcome new development in interesting ways. And if we can do it right with respect to environmental, environmentalism and sustainability and energy efficiency, then that's going to be pretty exciting. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so you two have been just really incredible, gracious guests. And we want to thank you for participating today and for offering your your memories, your reflections, your insight in, into this uh, really unique and important project in Edmonton. So uh, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Just Powers podcast. Be sure to visit justpowers.ca to learn more about our ongoing projects, access resources, and discover related content. Just Powers is made possible by support from Future Energy Systems Canada First Excellence Research Fund, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Cool Institute of Advanced Study, Campus Saint-Jean, the University of Alberta, and Alberta EcoTrust. This episode, like every episode, has been a team effort. It has been co-produced by myself, Sheena Wilson, Charlotte Tomasin, and Resvena Erfani. It has been recorded and mixed by Charlotte Tomasin and Catlin W. Kuzik at Sublet Sound in Edmonton, Alberta. We owe a big thanks to Sarah Darrow and Resvena Erfani for their insights and work on this episode. And thank you, as always, to our guests.